Hill City Church, uh, so glad you are carving out some time uh, to gather about God's word uh, together. Um, Come with me uh, to Romans. Uh, We're still in chapter two. Uh, We're gonna pick up at verse 17. Uh, Really enjoying kind of walking through this book um, together. I really hope that God's encouraging you, speaking to you, challenging you, uh, as I believe every time we come around the scriptures, um, that we can actually hear the voice of the Spirit um, speaking to us. It's what we long for, it's what we need uh, in our life. And so uh, let's go to the text this morning. Uh, it says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precept of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who merely is one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but it is from God. Well, church, let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for this word, Lord. We pray that it would be Uh, uplifting to us, that it would challenge us, that it would encourage us. God, that for the next few moments, you would help us to push back all of the things that might be clouding and cluttering our mind and our souls and get us to a place, God, that we can receive from you, your word, spirit unto spirit, deep unto deep. And God, we thank you for what you're doing in and among us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. The reality is this, if you, if you think in, in kind of back over the sort of Jewish tradition, there, there are really, biblically, there were three sort of pillars uh, of ancient Judaism. There were three pillars that they kind of rested on, and, and the first one was their relationship with God. It was monotheistic, their monotheistic relationship with God in comparison to what was happening in cultures around them, that there was a plurality in worship. There was a sense that it was not just one God that they, they served and worship, but that there were a multiplicity of gods. The second sort of pillar was this idea of their status, that they were the elected, the chosen people of God. They were God's portion taken from among the earth and that God was moving in and through his people. Not to despise the rest of the world, but to bring salvation through this people group. So there was a sense of of election, status would be with that. The third would be that they had the knowledge of God. They had the law, they had the Torah. And their life was instructed and their life was molded and shaped by God's law, by God's word. You see, the reality is, is this, and, and you and I know this to be true as well, 
The law of God in our life is not something that we just simply want to know on an intellectual level. It's not just knowledge that we we want to have that stays trapped and locked in our mental spaces, but that knowledge actually has to move from something that we think about to something that we actually do. And so we see Paul kind of continuing the same sort of thread, the same sort of line of conversation, and he's moving kind of even deeper, and he's pushing on to the the children of Israel, the people of God, a little bit further because he's saying to them, those of you that have had, you've had the knowledge, you've had all of the the status, you've had the relationship with God, you, you have these things. And if you're not careful, what you do is you simply live your life as people who know about stuff, but you're not really doing those things. In the Bible, when it speaks to us in the New Testament about having a knowledge of God, it speaks to us not just of of an intellectual understanding of something, but it speaks to us of an experiential understanding of something. It's not enough just to know about stuff. We actually have to be able to put that in practice. We have translated that culturally as there are people among us who are book smart. And there are people among us that are street smart. There are people among us that seem to get everything sort of in a classroom setting and they understand it, but the practicality of that information is sometimes lost. That translation from practical wisdom to sort of learned wisdom, applied knowledge is not something that may come natural or easy, but I want you to know it's an expectation in following God. It's not enough just to simply know stuff about God, but be able to put them into practice. What Paul's saying to them is you cannot boast in the law if the law is not practiced. If the law is not evident in your life, you can't boast about the law. What has happened to to this people, what has happened to this this collection of individuals in in this church in Rome, they have allowed the pillars to become a place of pride in their life. So I want to ask you this question. What is it that you have become prideful about in your life that at one time in one season used to be a foundational principle. You see, far too often what happens is we begin to take our relationship with God and the the confidence that comes in knowing God begins to be translated in our life where it just simply, uh, simply builds sort of pride in us. Paul says it this way, that knowledge puffs up and love builds up. What I wanna make sure that we have kind of settled in our mind and settled in our hearts is that what Paul's calling us to, the church in Rome and what Paul's calling Hill City Church to is a place where we are taking what the Bible says, we're taking the word of God and we are putting it in to practice. We don't want the blessings of of knowing God, the blessing of being chosen by God, the blessing of God giving us access to him and and to his, his word. We don't want the blessing to become a burden in our life. We don't want it to become something that actually becomes cumbersome to us and it doesn't allow us to move forward. I want us to think and consider kind of a few things today. And it really is kind of around this thought as we're kind of moving forward, the intersection between church and culture. Because what, what Paul's really talking about is there's this intersection. What's happening is people are seeing And people are observing the way in which they're living their life and they're finding that there is a problem with it. And the first thing I want us to kind of grab hold of that I think Paul really speaks to is that we're called to follow. I know many of us in our lives, we we have positions of leadership and we hear about leadership all the time. I'm not trying to diminish leadership. I just don't think that's the first posture in our life. The first posture in our life is actually to be a follower. 
I think every good leader is a follower. Every person that can lead with, with a sense of expertise and can lead with precision, I think they also have the ability to be a follower as well. And for us, as we are kind of leading in a Christian way in culture, we have to be reminded that we must first and foremost continue to be a follower of Jesus. Our first position is not to educate, but it is to learn. We are students. The Greek word translating for disciple is student, is learner. The idea in the scriptures is laid out for us that it would be that there's an apprenticeship in following Jesus. It is why the disciples followed Jesus around for a number of years before they actually began ministry on their own. It wasn't enough to just pop into a class, log in online, show up in church. They, they genuinely were living life together so that they could, they could experience this phenomenon that more is caught than taught. So this apprenticeship, they're following Jesus and they're actually beginning to absorb the life of Christ into their life. I just want to ask you this, as a follower of Jesus, has your endeavor and pursuit of him been solely an intellectual endeavor? Or have you moved into a space where you've gotten into this sort of apprenticeship, meaning you've gotten close enough to someone who's a little bit further down the road than you are in this journey, and you've been able to take on what they've known in a, in a caught rather than taught posture. You see, that, that's the thing that, that we need. We have to wrestle, yes, with the evil impulses that we would have. We have to wrestle with our humanity. We have to wrestle with our flawedness. And the way in which we do that is by continuing to pursue understanding and relationship with Jesus. Some of you have been trying to stop doing sin number 134 for years. You've been trying to overcome. You've been pleading the blood. You've been singing worship songs. You've gone to conferences. You've done everything you know to do except for lean into the person of Jesus and just begin to saturate your life with his word, saturate your life with his presence, and begin to live your life modeling what you see Christ. I'm just telling you the way to overcome sin is not to think more about sin. The way to overcome sin is to actually think more about Christ. Love Jesus more. I know that sounds simplistic, but what if the God of all things, the God in heaven and in earth, desires such a relationship with you and I, that he would not be an elusive God? but would be a God that would, would use simplicity to confound the wise, but also simplicity that we might have access to him. Listen to me, friends. It is easier than you have been told, and you are doing better than you think you are, but we have to continue following Jesus. We are called to follow. We've also got to keep in mind that we might have learned a lot of stuff in our life up till now. There may be a sense where we have been educated in the things of God, both by experience and by just simply sitting under good teaching, listening to sermons, being students of the word. But I just want to tell you this, the same thing that they told me in my doctoral program, I want to tell you today, your education has an expiration date on it. Meaning this, if you are not continuing in a, po in a posture of being a continual learner, an ongoing student, 
Both in academic settings, your education has a shelf life. Why? Because there is going to be progress that happens. There's going to be newness. There's going to be freshness. Your education is a snapshot in a moment of time. But as you begin to kind of move forward, if you're not continuing to study and being well-read, you would have been on the cutting edge when you received that degree, but you'll find yourself lagging behind if you're not keeping up to date. I believe the same thing is true in our spiritual life. You could have learned everything about the Lord 10 years ago, but if that education in the Lord 10 years ago has not been renewed and refreshed along the way, it will feel stagnant and stale in your soul right now. We've got to get to a place where we're continuing to follow and learn and we're students. This is what Paul is saying to the children of Israel. You've been gifted your status. You've been gifted access to God. You've been gifted the, the word of God, the law of God. But if you're not careful, you're going to find yourselves teaching things that you've forgotten. See, I think Jesus is speaking to us. He's wanting to get us to this place where, where culture in the church, there's this intersection. But we recognize to, to do that and lean into that well that, we, that we're called to follow. The second thing I want you to kind of grab hold of in this, po- in this passage is, is this simple phrase that hypocrisy hurts. You see the phrase, and it says here at the end of of verse 24, it says that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Just want to ask you a really, really hard question. Is the name of God elevated because of your life? Or is it diminished because of your witness? Is God's name elevated because of our lives? Or do we bring shadow spaces around it because of our behavior, because of our posture towards things, because of our our unwillingness to have compassion. Like we've got to begin asking ourselves kind of this same question. Why? Because it's what Paul is asking this church. You can't relax and rely on the fact that you have these things, but you have to make sure you're putting them into practice. Does our lives echo the gospel that we have received? Because if not, we live this life in a, in, in a hypocrite sort of, sort of posture, a hypocrite sort of way. We, we, that's, a, that's a scripture word that we hear and we read a lot. But I, I want to I remind you in the Sermon on the Mount what Jesus uses. He uses reference points when talking about hypocrisy. And he uses the reference point of actors in a play. You see, what Paul's saying to, the, to this community is the same thing I would offer to us. If we're not careful, we're only pretending and acting and placating a Christ follower, but we're actually not doing it in our life. It would be the same thing as if you and I walked into the doctor. And and to be honest with you, I've had this experience in life. I've had this experience where I've gone to the doctor and I've had a season where, man, I just wasn't probably like, just wasn't super healthy. Let's just be honest. I was probably eating McDonald's a little bit too much. Probably wasn't watching some things. Maybe the intake was too much. Maybe the LBs were up a little bit. Maybe a little bit of that cholesterol was rising a little bit. And I'll never forget, I was kind of at this doctor's office and the, and, I, and the doctor just said to me, he's like, Charlie, you need, you need to work on these things. You, you need to make sure you're, you know, kind of work on your cholesterol. You need to make sure you're, you're, you're watching what you're eating. Make sure you're exercising. Make sure you're doing all these things. Listen to me. There, it, was, it was wonderful advice. Advice I think is great. Thumbs up. Thank you so much. Thanks, doc. Appreciate it. The only problem with this is that the doctor was 75 pounds heavier than me. It's just hard to hear from someone about how healthy I need to be when I'm looking at them going, nah, bro you're in worse shape than I am. This whole idea of physician, heal yourself. 
You see, for us as following Jesus, it's easy. It's easy for us to identify the things that other people need to work on. But the question we have to ask ourselves, are we leading people beyond our devotion? Because as leaders, as following Jesus, and then helping others to come along and follow Jesus, you can't give away what you don't have. And we can't lead people to places that we've never been. You're only going to be able to lead people to the places that you've been. There are people in your life right now that are waiting on you to get your act together so that you can help them find Jesus. I truly believe that. I truly believe that there are people that are depending on us to move into the deeper things of God so that they can experience the goodness of God, maybe for the first time. But if we're not careful, we live this life that is hypocritical. We live this life that is, that is acting the part rather than actually becoming who God has called us to be. When we do that, we take on this sort of superiority complex that our beliefs, that our status gives us some sort of position where we can look down on other people. You understand that that is, is part of the basis of, a, of racial tension. You see it even here in scripture. You can look back at the apostle Peter And the apostle Peter had a difficult time sharing a meal with people that were Gentiles. He's saved, followed Jesus, is a Christian, and has a difficulty with people that are not like him, that don't believe like him, that don't look like him, that don't act like him, that are of a different race than he is. So I just want to say to you, this sort of posture, what Paul's getting at is he's pulling the thread on the thing that has actually become woven into the fabric of societies where people have superiority complexes and they look down on other people and they choose the reasons on why they'll marginalize. And I'm just saying to you, hypocrisy is connected to that sort of thing. And I want to rid my life of hypocrisy. I want our church to be true. I want our church to be honest. I want our church to be imaged like a Jesus in the image of our God. I don't want us to live these places where we sound good, where we appear to be good, but in the inside, we just got something. It's just off kilter. Got to make sure that we exchange humility for hubris. Let me say that backwards. Exchange hubris for humility. That we exchange simply preaching to people for listening to people and that we exchange correction for compassion. I genuinely believe that will enable us and move us into a place where we're living a life that is, that is truer than maybe what we've experienced before. Listen to this quote by the author, Brendan Manning. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hypocrisy is what sadly turns the church into a factory of unbelief. And what strong words for us. Listen to me. I believe that there is a dying and hurting world watching and looking and hoping that the church that professes Jesus Christ would look more and more like Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this is what God is calling us into. This is the opportunity that we have here. I'm reminded of the song from the 80s, you give love a bad name, sing it Bon Jovi. This idea that if we're not careful, we do that very same thing. We give Jesus, we give love incarnate 
a bad name because of the way in which we act and we interact with people. When we think about becoming whole life followers of Jesus, we think about discipleship. We think about following God with our whole life. Might we ask God to disciple us into things like a greater, a greater level of patience, deeper levels of empathy, and compassion that moves us to action. Not just has a feeling towards someone, but actually moves in response. Another thing I want you to grab hold of, this will be kind of our third point and write it down this way. It's a, it's a verse from Joel chapter two, verses 12 through 13. I want you to simply to just to write this phrase, rend your hearts. We read that passage of scripture and it might've been uncomfortable for you to hear. It was uncomfortable for me to read. We said circumcision like 15 times. We understand that in the Old Testament, circumcision was a, a covenant ritual. And that act was symbolic as all sort of rituals are. There's a symbolism in there that is a deeper meaning than just what's happening external. But what's happened to the children of Israel is they were taking this external sign and they were relying on that and never allowing the internal renovation to take place. And so what Paul's saying to them is, listen to me, you've gone through the, you've gone through the grueling act of circumcision. And he says, you think that that's enough to hold up the weight of your, of your covenant relationship with God. And he says, I'm telling you that your Gentile brother who's not circumcised, but is living a life that is reflecting the covenant of God, that he is in relationship with God more so than you are. This is a radical shift and unnerving of that foundation where you could begin to have this sort of superiority complex. What he's doing is he's yanking the rug out from under them. He's saying and reminding from them, it's not enough to have a ritualistic engagement with God. It's not enough. There has to be obedience. There's gotta be a heart that is postured towards obedience. Maybe you'll write it down this way, that inner devotion is always greater than physical expressions. Inner devotion is always greater than physical expressions. But many of us in our entire life, we've been led into a faith that was solely for show. And it was, it was looking right. I'm just telling you, I'm not saying we throw away our works. Remember what we talked about last week. We're judged by our works. But our works have to come from a place where the heart has been renovated first. Because if it's not, they're shallow and they're hollow. And this leads us right to the fourth one. We're to live our life on mission. When we talk about engaging culture, where the church intersects with culture, we do it through discipleship. We do it by, by getting rid of that sort of hypocrisy. We do it by allowing our hearts to be renovated. And we do it by living a life that is on mission. See, if we're not careful, pride will set into our heart and it will destroy our purpose. And what's our purpose as a church? We help people take the next step in following Jesus. We are a city on a hill and a lamp in every home. What that means is this, is wherever you are on your journey, we want to come alongside you. That is the mission of our church. It's the mission that God has called us to. It's a mission where we sit on a city hill and we let our light shine so that it gives glory and honor to Jesus. You understand in the beginning of this passage, what Paul is saying of the children of Israel was true. They were to be a guide to the blind. They were to be a light to those that were in darkness. They were to be an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children of children. They were to embody the law, but they had forgotten their mission. Maybe they had gotten relaxed and comfortable. Maybe they depended upon their own abilities 
and lost the dependency on God. There's a sense that we have to embody the message, not just simply be educated on it. We talk about being a city on a hill. It's a great phrase. I love it. City on a hill, lamp in every home. We're going to help people take their next step. I love succinct phrases. It allows us to grab hold of the vision. It allows us to talk about the vision. It allows us to embody it. Yes, but what we have to do is actually apply it into our lives. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Talk about it with your families. What does it mean for us to be a city on a hill? What does it mean for us to shine our light the light that we've been given by Jesus, what does it mean for us to shine that? What does it look like practically? How does it change the way you interact with your neighbors? How does it change the way that you are on the sports team? How does it change the way in which you interact with your your kids' teachers and the principals, the people everywhere that you step your feet? How does it change the way you interact with the people that are entrusted to you on your job? Maybe it's a vendor. Maybe it's a person that you're reporting to. Begin to ask this question and don't think about it just from a spiritual sense. Speak, think about it and understand that the spirituality is in everything that we do. Asking the question, what does it mean for me to live my life on mission so that I do not become what the scriptures are talking about here where I have a calling on my life. I have a sense where God has purposed me and I lose sight of it and I lose my way and I just begin to lean, not on, 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 I lean on my own understanding and I'm not leaning on and into the person in the presence of Jesus. You see, we've got to follow Jesus first. If we follow Jesus first, the rest of these things really begin to be progressive. You see, when I follow Jesus, I'll start living in alignment that my thoughts and my actions will begin to find alignment. And I found out when I'm in alignment with Jesus, I begin to do even deeper interior work and I begin to rip off the the layers and I begin to peel it back. I begin to rend my heart. I begin to look deeper than just the physical expressions, the physical sort of manifestations of my spirituality. And I begin to move deeper. I'm confronting the places that need to be confronted. I'm asking the hard questions. I'm unrooting and uprooting any sort of superiority that might have crept into my life. Following Jesus does not bring us to elevated places, but following Jesus is a downward mobility that as I move lower, I might lift up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, that he'll draw all men unto me. Perhaps we're not seeing people in our lives coming to faith because we have not been lifting up the name of Jesus in a way that's appropriate. You see, when we begin to rend our hearts, when we begin to remove these things from our life, what we begin to understand is that we've been called to live on mission and on purpose. And if pride is there, it destroys purpose. See, my prayer for us is that we would live a life that is humble live a life that is simple, live a life that is focused on Jesus in a world that seems to be overrun with materialism, in a world that seems to be overrun with desiring things for self rather than for others. You see, my prayers as we move into this sort of new life after and post-pandemic, I believe that it has shaped and changed us profoundly. 
but my nervousness is the desire that we have to get back to normal may have us leave the very things that God was saying to us and that God was doing into us. And we might devolve back to the places that God was trying to rescue us from. I believe it's passages like this that are intended to get our attention. It's not enough just to simply do the right things, but inwardly your heart has to be right. Church, would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And it's my prayer, God, that you would continue to allow these words from this letter to this Roman church to be the word of the Lord to our heart. Might we follow you, Lord, with new passion, with new fervor. God, I pray that we would would just repent of places in our life where we've had hypocrisy, places that we've said one thing, we've done the other, places that we expected of others what we were not giving of ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would continue to do the work of rending our heart so that you might be pleased, that you might dwell, that we might carve out more space for you. And God, I pray that as we do that, then we would live on mission in such a way that it would impact those around In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Grace and peace, church. We love you so much. Following Jesus is a journey, and we just want to invite you into that journey if you haven't made that decision already. It is as simple as confessing Jesus as Lord and asking Him to lead you in your life. And we want to come alongside you and help you on every next step of your journey with Jesus. Have a great week, church.